Good morning. Thanks, Sean. Uh, once again, we want to thank God for the privilege of worship. Uh, we we'll continue our series uh, through the book of James. James talks about the marks of spiritual maturity, and we have seen uh, it means how we face trials, how we deal with the rich and the poor. Today, we'll talk about tongues and thoughts, and then we'll talk about submit in contrition, seeking true comfort, and finally, uh, standing firm in prayer. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer as we begin. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use your word to fill our hearts. Help us to lift our eyes to see Jesus lifted up and you glorified. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the last September, during a marathon debate in the parliament over issues of our livelihood, there were several exchanges between the uh, manpower minister and an uh, NMP uh, called Mr. Leong. After Mr. Leong spoke, the mic was left on. And then there was a voice that was picked up. He's illiterate. I thought he went to RI. That must be a lousy school. And then someone else said, yeah, yeah, I'm from so-and-so secondary school. As if to say, he was from so-and-so secondary school and yet he understands. And why doesn't this person understand? Now this was a parliament, right? You imagine these are the brightest minds trying to think about issues that affect our livelihood. Why would they talk about such things? And indeed, it's a reflection of what's inside their hearts, their thoughts. A week later on Facebook, the foreign minister, minister of foreign affairs, he admitted that he made those comments. He said in his post, I called Mr. Leong today to apologize. And even though we disagreed on the issues, I should not have said what I said. Now, what's the moral of the story? Never speak into an open mic. You know how scary it is to speak in an open mic? Before the pandemic, if you remember, I used to wear the headset. So usually after sound check, I'll go and do my stuff. One time I went to the restroom to wash my hands. Then suddenly people started hearing water sound. So thankfully the sound person was alert and he switched it off. Another time I was giving a lecture to one of my kids. You know, and when I came back, the sound person smiled at me. And he came up and says, wow, your speech was really interesting. I was like, because he heard everything in the headset. I was like, interesting, that's really scary, you know. Don't speak into an open mic. You know, all of us, we are actually mic'd up, right? If you're talking to your family, your colleagues, your friends, even strangers on the bus or in the departmental store, someone is listening. Even if you're alone, God is listening. And so what are we saying with our tongues? That is what I would like us to think about today from James chapter 3. James 3 verse 1 to 12, we will talk about uh, controlling the tongue. And then 13 to 18, it will be cultivating our thoughts. Because out of our thoughts comes what we speak. And a mark of spiritual maturity is how we use our tongues. Don't speak into an open mic. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, they will incur stricter judgment. You know, in the synagogue, uh, any male above 18, uh, they are able to go up to share their thoughts about the law of God, what they think, what it means. And so James is saying, um, if you want to talk about this, be careful because you'll face stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. All of us are imperfect. We stumble. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to brittle the whole body as well. You can control your tongue, you can control your body, and you're perfect. Remember, 
uh, the first week I said perfect in the book of James refers to a maturity, a spiritual maturity. If you can control what you say. And so all of us, we say that we, in our workplace, at home, our schools, we ought to testify for Jesus. The moment we say that, we are representing God. And so, what do you use your tongue to say? Because people are looking. In fact, even if you don't say you want to testify, as long as you identify yourself as a Christian, you are representing God. How do we use our tongues? It gives us three examples of the power of words. Now, if you put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct the entire body as well. The bit is really small. You put it in the mouth, you tug it, it will go in the direction you want. Of course. Can you imagine you wear a earring or nose ring and someone pulls it? Do you think you respond? Of course, right? It's so painful. So something small will affect the entire body. Second example, look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of pirate desires. How do you steer a ship? By the small rudder. Finally, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by a small fire. Small fire can set a whole forest on fire. Notice the repeated words, the small and the great. Small things have great impact and it refers to our tongues. What do we use our tongues to say? Now, words are important. Um, You can hurt somebody, not just face to face, but from far away, like sending a missile over, you know, or like a landmine. It only detonates years or days or years later because we carry those words with us. What do you say, what do you use your tongues to do? What words do you say? In the pastor's voice, I shared the experiment the professor did with words and knives. When they use knives to, to stab somebody, you know, in the MRI pictures, there are, there are certain parts of your brain lights up. And then the other group is just words, but the same parts lights up just as brightly, which means from our brain's response, there seems to be no difference between words and knives. But physical wounds, we will take care. Emotional wounds, we will leave them there to fester because we are not aware. Years later, it explodes. So how do we use our tongues? We must not underestimate the words that come out of our mouths. And then, the Lord reminds us. He said, every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. One day, when we stand before God, we are going to give an account of the words we use. Now that's a scary thought. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our lives is set on fire by hell. The tongue is like a fire that burns everything. You know, it affects our body, it affects our lives. It says, you know, it's a fire by, that's lit by hell, akin to hellish um, experiences. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, and full of deadly poison. We're very smart, you know. Technology has advanced. We can tame all kinds of animals. We send people to the moon, but yet we cannot tame our tongue. That's the point. What is an untamed tongue? What does it look like? 
while when we lie, when we exaggerate, when we flatter, when we curse, when we say angry words, when we gossip, that's the best, you know, when we gossip. Someone tells you a secret and your heart rate elevates, like, look around, oh, the first person you see, you go, we must pray for this person. Really? Are you really praying for that person? Are we simply gossiping? Why do we like to gossip? You know what gossip is like? In Greek, the word gossip, cytherismos, the word in front, pss, pss, that's gossip. You say, I never gossip, but have you ever done this? Left and right, nobody, pss, pss. That's exactly what the word means, gossip. And we do it because why? It makes us feel important. We have information that others do not have. Maybe we tear down other people so that we feel good. How do we use our tongues? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Whatever we say, it reflects who we are. And so there needs to be a consistency. Proverbs says, ultimately, gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Ultimately, in gossiping, it affects yourself because you gain their reputation. You know, when someone says, complains to me about somebody else, ah, so and so, 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 and oh, this person told me that, it's interesting, you know, but then I will begin to think, if you can say this about someone else, you can say this of me. And do you think I will tell that person anything of importance? Of course not. So eventually it comes back to hurt us. So we need to be consistent internally and that is why in verse 9 he says, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men. Men, not just any people but who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. We should not be like that. We come and praise God we say we testify about the gospel, but on the other hand, in our workplaces, we scream at people when something goes wrong. We gossip about other things. We exaggerate about our own performance. Verse 11, Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh? These are all rhetorical questions. Of course, cannot. The point is we need to be consistent. What we are inside results in what we say with our tongues. Sometimes uh, modern psychology says whatever we feel, we should say it to be authentic. It feels good to just let it out. Yes, it feels good to be let it out, but in Scripture, what does it say? Edify people, exercise self-control, tame your tongue. Sometimes it feels good to say, but after saying, you regret. Remember I shared with you before when I was still in the States, right? When my senior pastor was, uh, he left because of some issues. So the board of elders told me to help them behind the scene. Right? Uh, so I agreed, which means I had to deal with some of the, the staff issues. So I dealt with this pastor who has been there for a long time. Everybody knows it's the problem, alright? And so I thought, okay, now, since nobody wants to deal with him, now let me do it, right? And so every meeting, I would just put him in his place. I was like, come on, you know. Yes, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So I just speak my mind because it feels good. You know, someone once said, you know, you get depression because it's anger turned inward. You repress yourself. I told my wife I won't get depressed because my anger turned outward. So I just, just spoke my mind, right? It felt good in the moment. In fact, after every meeting, the other seven or eight pastors will come to me and say, well done. We should have said this a decade ago. Everybody said, okay, except one, you know, except one person has black face. 
That's my wife. She would tell me, you're a jerk. Why do you say that? I said, come on. The other eight or nine pastors said, he should, I should have said it. This is a lesson I learned. Okay, you don't listen to your wife. You get to face the consequences. So in the end, I felt I dealt with the situation. I felt good. But at the end of the day, you know, I felt dirty. I felt I didn't please God. How do we use our tongues? How do you use your tongues? The Hebrews have a term for this. Lashon hara. In Proverbs, uh, Psalms 34, it says, Who is the man who desires life and loves the length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. The evil tongue, Lashon is evil, Ra is, uh, sorry, Lashon is tongue, Ra is evil. So, the evil, you know, the evil tongue. What is Lashon Hara? When you complain to your colleagues about uh, your boss, when you whine about the things you do, when you hear people confide to you your secrets and you want to tell somebody, when you exaggerate your own performance, when you talk about the worship leader not singing well, these are Lashon Hara which undermines trust, tears down friendships and belittles someone else. But you say, but, but it may be true. Yes, it may be true. But how we say it matters. The heart of the Lord, the golden rule says, don't do unto others what you don't want to do unto yourself. So if you think about it, your flaws. Do you like, it? Do you like to speak in the open mind and the rest of the, the whole congregation hears it? But it's true, right? Yet we don't want. And so to the rabbis, they say that Lashon Hara is the most serious of sins. Now this is a way of teaching where they emphasize the consequences. Just like when Jesus said, if you lust, you committed adultery. You're angry, you commit murder. All right? It's because it's a rhetorical, rather a way of teaching that emphasizes the consequences. So to the rabbis, Lashon Hara is the worst of sins because you cannot control your words. You cannot take it back and you don't know the impact. In fact, they have this saying, you know, the slanderer stands in Damascus and the person he murders lives in Rome. Fantastic. I love this imagery. It's like, you say something, you send a missile, boom! They say there are three victims in Lashon Hara. First is the person you talk about, you damage the reputation and integrity. Second is the person you tell it to, because now their relationships have issues. And then this person has to fight the temptation of telling someone else. And the third victim is yourself. Because when you, you say Lashon Hara, it impacts your thoughts and who you are and eventually your reputation. So instead of Lashon Hara, the opposite is Lashon Hatov. Tov, good. Tongue, the good, the good tongue. What is Lashon Hatov? There's a popular uh, example they use, the rabbis use. Say if you go to a wedding and you see the bride, you need to praise her for how beautiful she is. But what if she's not beautiful? So the two school of thoughts, one, uh, I think Shemai's school of thought says, you cannot say it because even white lies is a lie, so don't say it. The other school of thought says it's okay to say it because from a certain point of view, it's true. From a husband's point of view, she is beautiful. And so, Lashon Hatov then teaches us, it doesn't mean that the person is perfect or the person has no flaws, but we look at the person through God's eyes. What is good? What is, 
what is beautiful, and we praise and encourage, and that is Lashon Hatov. So friends, think back in this week or just yesterday. The things that you said, you categorize them, are they under Lashon Hara or Lashon Hatov? One day we will stand before God and we have to give an account of what we say. Ephesians 4, Paul says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words be an encouragement to those who hear them. What comes out from our mouths? You know, when I first became a Christian, unfortunately, I read the book of James. I was like, what? You know, I said it before, the book of James is probably the most challenging one because it demands that we practicalize our faith, that we live out our faith, how we face trials and temptations, how we do good to others that cannot repay us, or are we doing good so that we hope we can have some benefits. And today, how we use our tongues. I realized back then, you know, I, I talked a lot, believe it or not. I like to make people laugh. But the way I make people laugh is by crude jokes, you know, unedifying words, uh, sarcasm. I thought I was quick-witted and to have dry humor. But when I really analyzed what I said, Almost every sentence I say is unedifying. So I stopped talking for a few months, you know. And I realized it's because of how I viewed myself. My worth is placed upon my identity that I make people laugh. And so scripture tells us, in James, he continues to say we have to control our time by cultivating our thoughts of understanding who we are. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and gentleness of wisdom. You know, he's talking about tongues and why suddenly he talks about being wise. Well, he say if you're wise, then show it in your behavior. Now remember, in the first verse it says, don't be so quick to be teachers. People who like to go up and give their opinions about the law. You think you have wisdom? Well, if you have real wisdom, instead of sharing about God's word, instead of giving us your brilliant ideas and insights, show it in your life. Show your good behavior by your gentle wisdom. If, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, you grow up just to draw attention to yourself. You share insights so that people will listen to you. Do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but it is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder and every evil thing. Just look at your heart, you know, if you do this because of jealousy and selfish ambition, if you jealousy and bitterness in your hearts, you try to speak gently. You try to say good things. You think it's possible? Of course not. And he goes, but if the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He says, if your true wisdom from above, and your heart is about peace and mercy, and you're determined to be a peacemaker, determined to be gentle and speak in humility, then your words will come out like that. This is saying, as you think, you say, as you say you do, the more you do, the more it strengthens your thoughts. See, words have power. When we say it out, you give your thoughts some strength, some power, some reality. And then you go and do it, it reinforces of what you think. That is why C.S. Lewis said, you know, 
The Nazis first killed the Jews because they hated the Jews, but then later they hated the Jews because they killed them. First you think you hate, you act, you kill, and because you kill, for whatever reason, the guilt or you, know, you feel right, it justifies yourself, it strengthens your thought. You hate them even more. So how do we control our tongue? It's by cultivating our thought. How do you do that? It's from the inside. Friends, that is why we need to come back to the gospel. The gospel says we are all sinners, meaning nobody is perfect like God is. And hence, in the sight of God, we are sinners. In the sight of perfect God, we face His wrath. And yet, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to die for our sins. And it's because of what He had done By faith, we accept Him, we respond to Him. A perfect God accepts a perfect sacrifice in Jesus to accept us. Hence, James said, all of us stumble, you know. We use our tongues wrongly. I mean, for me, this is one of my biggest struggles. How do you continually do that? That is to come before the gospel. The gospel, as I said many times, is not something we need 20, 30 years ago when we became Christians. It's something we need every day to renew our hearts, to remember who we are in Christ, to remember how He sees us and then how we see other people. Jesus is the Word of God. The Word incarnate. Paul tells us to let the Word of God, Christ, dwell richly in us so that we may have gratitude, respond in Psalms and thanksgiving. There's a part in Scripture that says, you know, even if nobody will praise Jesus, nobody will praise Him, the rocks, He will give them speech to praise Him. So we come back to our Lord Jesus, the Word of God Himself. Then we may renew our hearts, cultivate our thoughts, and control our words. How do you respond to that? Well, First, we learn to count our blessings. In a sense, we see and think of what God has done, the blessings we have, instead of dwelling on what we don't have on what is negative. And as we count our blessings, then we learn to speak blessings. We learn to speak in gratitude and thanksgiving. Get in touch with God's love. We need to be still, to slow down, to before, come before God, to meditate on His word and His, and His deeds so that our hearts are filled with His love. And out of that, the overpouring of our hearts, we speak words of love. We need to write down the thoughts in a letter instead of just lashing out. Practice writing first. James says, right, be quick to listen, slow to speak. I say, how can? The moment it happens, oh yeah, you want to talk already. So he says, write it down. And then wait before responding to a comment, criticism, or gossip. You know when is the worst time to reply emails? After you come back for a long trip, you have a bunch of emails, you're tired, you're reading, and say, What? Now, many times I've responded, I will see, what is this guy saying? And then I tap, 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 I'll show my wife, and then she shake her head, I ha ha, I just press. Okay, thankfully, these are back then, you know, when I was in the States, right? When I was young and innocent, now I, I'm not like that, okay? <laughs> I send, and then, oh, I regret. <laughs> because, you know, after a long trip, you're tired, and then you see people write this sort of thing, and you go, what? Or maybe for us today is to write an email, a text, or say to someone, affirm them, encourage them. Friends, don't speak into an open mic. Allow the gospel to renew our hearts. 
so that we don't speak lashon hara but lashon hatof. How do you encourage somebody? Do you need encouragement? The sister Hel- Helen Marusa, she shared this story. She said, when I first became a teacher, I taught um, third grade, which is primary three, math. And I remember one of my students, Mark Auckland. All my students are dear to me, but he's just one in a million. He has this really, he's really polite, well-dressed. Um, he has this glad-to-be-alive attitude. And so it makes his occasional mischievousness quite delightful. She says he speaks incessantly and I've always got to remind him that, you know, you've got to get my permission first. And then he'll politely reply, Thanks for your, thank you for your correction. It was so sincere at first, I didn't know how to respond. But after a while, I just accepted it. You know, I just have to listen to him say it several times a day. There was this day I made a rookie teacher mistake. I got so mad, I said to him, If you speak again, I'm going to tape up your mouth. Ten seconds later, he spoke. And the rest of the class said, Teacher, he spoke. Tape, tape, tape. <laughs> so no choice, right? I walked over with two tapes and put a big X on his lips. I walked back angrily and sat on the table. And when I looked at him, he just winked at me. And I burst out laughing. So I removed his tape and he said to me, he says, Thank you, teacher, for your correction. Well, the year passed quickly. The next time I taught, Mark, he was 15 years old. Big, tall, handsome, still very polite, and now he talked less. There was this day in class where everybody was cranky, maybe because what I was teaching was too difficult. So I told them, no, we are going to stop the lesson. Each of you take out blank piece of paper and write down your friend's name. And then beside each name, write something encouraging. At the end of the day, they came by my desk, handed, it, handed them to me, and, 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 and Mark told me, thank you, teacher, for doing this. That night, I wrote the student's name each on a blank piece of paper, copied the comments of the other students uh, about them onto their sheet. And the next day, I gave it out to them. And then there were giggles and whispers in the class. Everybody was smiling. Some people were saying, Oh, I didn't know you thought this about me. Thank you for this comment. And so we forgot about this. I don't know what they did to the piece of paper. And the years flew by. Once I came back from vacation and my dad picked me up from the airport. On the way back, he told me, Yes, you remember your student, Mark Eklund? I said, Yes. Well, he died in the Vietnam War. His parents called yesterday, his funeral is tomorrow, and they would like you to attend. And his sister Helen said, After so many years, I can still remember the exact spot on the highway when my dad told me that news. I've never attended a military funeral. And seeing, looking, seeing Mark in his uniform, lying in the coffin, all I could think of was how I wish I could use all the tapes in this world to exchange for this one opportunity to listen to him speak again. At the end of the funeral, the parents came up to me. His dad said, I found, this was found on, on Mark's body when he was killed. He took out a piece of paper and even before he unfolded it, I knew that was the paper that, that we did in the encouragement exercise. And his mother said, I remember when he was 15 years old. The day he came back, he was glowing. He treasured this piece of paper and everywhere he went, he took it, including to the war. Sister Helen looked up and the other classmates came by. Charles said, I have that piece of paper in my top drawer at home. 
Charlie's wife said he put it with our wedding album and every time he opens our wedding pictures, he'll read out that list. Valerie says, I stuck that piece of paper onto my office desk and Mary took it out from her handbag. She said, I think all of us kept this. And that was when Helen teared up. She teared up for Mark, but she teared up and said, I learned an important lesson about encouragement that every one of us needs it. You know, friends, all of us have a little invisible bag like this we carry with us. In it are the words that people have deposited in our lives, all our lives. They could be words of encouragement that build up, or words that tears down, like rocks weighing us down. What is in your bag? Most importantly, what do you deposit into the bags of the people around you? Words of encouragement, Lashon Hatov or Lashon Hara. My first ministry here is in Jampal. And so, the first leaders retreat, I actually did this encouragement exercise with them. We just wrote down scraps of papers. And then subsequent years, they became more advanced, you know, they made cards. They did it themselves, you know, and every retreat, we have one card. And I kept them. Many times, I would take them out to read. You know, I feel discouraged, I feel, what, what am I doing, you know? And some of them said, Thank you for journeying with us and investing our lives. Another one said, you're the first person who really challenged me to think about how I should live out my faith. And this is my favorite, is from a lady. She said, you are my hero. You're a good leader, not just in church, but at home. This is for my wife, okay? <laughs> you know, just two, a few weeks ago, I was reflecting uh, you know, 1st of July, my third year as senior pastor, I was reflecting and, and God wrote me to this verse in 1 Samuel 36, where it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And I thought, man, David also has to encourage himself. How does he encourage himself? He meditates on God's word. He meditates on the deeds of God, what God has done. And so perhaps we too need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We bring our back before God and the rocks that weighs us down, we put it before the cross and let the gospel of Jesus Christ renew our hearts and bear those rocks for us. And more importantly, renew our minds so that when we look at other people, you know, you don't go depositing rocks and weighing people down, but you give words of encouragement to build up, to edify. So let us learn not to speak Lashon Hara, but Lashon Hatov. Let's pray. I'll give us some moment of silent meditation as we respond to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we want to once again give thanks to you. Every time we open your word, we hear you speak to us. Thank you that you see us as we are. But we know that because of what you have done, we are loved. Your grace is enough for us, sufficient for us. Teach us to use our tongues to praise you. Teach us to bring ourselves before you, the living word, that our tongues will be renewed because our minds are renewed. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.